Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, hello and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Independent Football Podcast. It is Tuesday the 23rd of April. I am your temporary host, Jack Pitbrook, in the absence of editor lead legend Ed Malian. I'm joined today by Chief Football Writer Miguel Delaney. Say hello, Miguel. Hello. Uh, Chief Sports Writer Jonathan Lou. Say hello, Jonathan. Hi. Happy St. George's Day. Happy St. George's Day to you too. Uh, how, are you fi- how are you finding it? Are you enjoying it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel definitely feel more patriotic today. I feel proud of my country and everything it's done, good and bad. Uh, yeah, I, 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 this is, it's a day of celebration. Which sportsman's um, <laughs> St. George's Day tweets have you felt most inspired by? Uh, obviously, Jack Wilshere's. Yeah, Jack Wilshere. I'm going to go. My two favourite sportsmen on St. George's Day are Jack Wilshere and Michael Vaughan, uh, two reliably for their reliably pro England takes. Hmm. Well, didn't uh, Wilshere have one about St. George's Day being taken away or something like that? Uh, he said that be- being English is something that no one can ever take away from you. Oh. Which is what? Unless you're um, Shamina Begum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they. That, <laughs> we will not that, have. Uh, if you're listening, you can turn off now because we won't have a joke better than that for the rest of the yeah. podcast. Um, but away from St. George's Day, yeah. it, it, <laughs> it, tomorrow is an even bigger day in English national life. It is the title deciding Manchester derby. Yeah. Uh, Manchester City, Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, Miguel, you know more about this than anyone. What's going to happen? Uh, I think City will win quite easily. United are a shambles at the moment. Uh, I mean, 30% of me is still going to dare, well, you know, big game and all that. Their pride has been hurt. And sometimes you do get responses in situations like this. But there's a lot of problems with United at the moment, as, as we saw on Saturday, or on Sunday, sorry, against Everton. And they go an awful lot deeper. I mean, I did a piece for the site today, which, of course, click on, on www.independent.co.uk backslash sport. Where's the football? Sport. Sport. Oh, I think it's just slash football. You probably should know that. Probably should know that. Um, you, you just tweet out a link though, it's handier than knowing. Yeah. Bit.ly, what happened to that? <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, I think there's a tapestry of issues wrong with United at the moment, which starts off with basically that run was unsustainable. Um, Solskjaer is worried about the fitness of the team. Um, and, I, and I think that is a legitimate issue, although some, some are questioning whether his own approach has played into the fitness team because I've, I've seen a lot of doubt about that uh, mid-season trip they had to Dubai. And that has also fed into some doubts from some players about Solskjaer's tactical approach. But even that has to be put in the context of the fact that a lot of players know their future at the club is in doubt. So it's basically a mess. And on top of everything else, you have um, one of the biggest clubs in the world entrusting one of the most important periods in their recent history to a manager whose only success comes in the uh, league ranked 23 in the UEFA coefficients, just ahead of the Kazakhstani league. So... You could scarcely have offered a, a bigger gift to City than th- than this scenario. United kind of imploding. I don't think it's it's too strong a word. United imploding. The the Champions League. Obviously, they wouldn't have wanted to get knocked out of the Champions League, but now essentially they they don't have the quadruple to play for. That pressure is off them. This is 
the, the competition that they can focus on. And, you know, you, you couldn't really have crafted uh, better circumstances for City in which to face this derby. Yeah. What, what, you know, what I would say is that maybe a couple of months ago, a lot of us didn't expect City to have to win this derby. And that's a credit to Liverpool yeah. that, that they've, they've managed to, to, to make City win this. D- the only slight wrinkle I'd say with that is maybe it would have been better for City to play them on Sunday rather than after the Everton game because the Everton game was so bad. They got them just after Barcelona because the Everton game was so bad. I mean, Barcelona was always kind of, they could explain it away because it's Barca, even though that, that game was like, humiliating in many ways. But the Everton game was so bad that like they, they have to, the player, for their own personal pride, they have to do something now. So there is that pressure. There's been a lot written about how the Goodison Park game was like as bad as anything under Mourinho. Uh, and an embarrassing performance from all the players. Do you do you agree with that? And do you think that do you think that they're so bad now, United, that they're past the point the players will react? Do you think that like there's the possibility here for a sort of proud Manchester United performance of the players responding to that? I think it is individually worse than any Mourinho. Like Mourinho, the problem with Mourinho is something more attritional, longer term. Uh, and like there were so many games like that were a grind. They did lose four 0 to Chelsea. But that was against a really good Chelsea who won the title that season, um, and and it was a different situation. Whereas this was, this was against Everton, who themselves are kind of all over the place, and just the, the performance was so it just lax. Um, what was the second question? Sorry. <laughs> do you th- what, what what I was going to say is well, what sorry what I did say is do you think the players are capable of a response? Uh, and also, I added on to that. Do you think the players have given up on Solskjaer? I don't think they've given up, no. Well, I, I think the, more, the, the greater problem there is that Solskjaer essentially knows now that a lot of these players aren't up to it. And I, that, I think that creates just a different dynamic. Like the, the chemistry of the United dressing room has greatly changed since his first two months where basically him just coming in and not being Mourinho and having a bit of positivity created quite, quite, quite a singular happy place. But that was obviously unsustainable. And now we're seeing the flip side of that. And... And just when when so many players are about, are about to go or or un, in doubt, it just it just means that it, it's not necessarily a case of giving up in Solskjaer. It just means that that, that group knows they're not going to be there. And I mean, from a few a few things like first of all, the the Spanish group, who, which is you know Valencia, Rojo, Herrera, Mata, De Gea, that's set to be broken up in the summer, and they're a highly influential group in the dressing room. Then you have this bizarre situation where because United have been so badly run in terms of recruitment and and squad structure basically all the players they want to keep uh are in situations where they can they're it's a it's meaningful for them to kind of maneuver their way out of the club or they want to go you pogba de, de, de gea and rashford even and then the players they'd like to get rid of or in or have such contracts that's actually very very difficult to get rid of them so even though solcher has been given a kind of a mandate for a clear out in the summer that's actually going to be difficult to do yeah it, i was thinking about this the other day and what we've always compared this to in the last few months is um early gunner di matteo as in he's got the job because the other guy was uh the other guy was so unpopular and avb sorry was, was so unpopular with the players they needed to save their season they needed to qualify for the top four they needed to get back they need to they had a chance of winning the champions league or the fa cup which is people something that people were talking about with with him fairly recently and he's the guy to kind of put the players back in charge and put smiles back on faces and get everyone going again. But in the last few days, I started to think that what if it's not Ole Gunnar Di Matteo, but actually Ole Gunnar Sherwood, as in another guy who replaced AVB uh, because AVB was so unpopular and the players all hated him, and who kind of started up trying to cheer people up, but 
very quickly under Sherwood, it just became, oh, these players are useless, lazy tossers. And we have to get rid of them all, have to bring in a new generation of young players because these guys are no good. Now, of course, Sherwood was proven completely wrong uh, there, but Sherwood did basically go to war with the senior players incredibly quickly at Spurs. And it's funny how how soon like this, this dynamic has changed for Solskjaer. And I just wonder if there's going to be... like is. Is he really going to win this battle? Is he really going to take on and defeat the Manchester United senior players? Well, the thing about Di Matteo is that they had trophies to play for, and trophies will really focus a, a player's mind because uh, you know there's th- there's a legacy there to be played for. And Di Matteo, I don't I don't think was given the job on a permanent basis until until after the end of the season. Is that it right? was a, it was after the they won the Champions League because because we'll, you remember that, that kind of fairly pathetic scene where. He got, he goes up to uh, Abramovich as he's gone up for the trophy. You know, understandable scene to be fair, but it's a, I won it, and like you know, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and and in hindsight, you know, uh, Abramovich says like, "No, nah, you didn't." <laughs> uh, you know, th- th- that's the, that's the story that gets told. Uh, but for for the Chelsea players, they they knew that they could kind of crescendo to the peak. To, to they could crescendo to the end of the season, knowing that there was a clean slate coming what? over the summer. Also, that was a Chelsea team that had just two years beforehand won a title. So there was an element and, and been so successful for a, a long period. So there's an element of just there was a certain standard in the squad. That is not the case with this Manchester United, which is um, they just don't have that that baseline level of competitiveness or success. It's so. And if you're a player who suspects or, or maybe suspects they may be on their way out or maybe wants to wants to leave, what is going to be the thing that, that wrecks that for you? It's going to be an injury if you get a long term in- it's not sort of not missing out on the top f- it's, it's not not making the top four it's you know maybe going in for a challenge and you know getting coming out on the wrong side of it and you, and you ruin your summer move and that's that's pos- potentially what, what's what's leading to these really kind of depressed levels of motivation in the squad yeah sorry go on Joe. Um, to talk specifics which United players do we think are which United players is Solskjaer really targeting here and who do you think they will be? Which of those do you think will still be here next season? Weirdly, actually, I have a suspicion some of his comments might have been towards Pogba, but Pogba would be one of the players he wants to get rid of, if you know what I mean. Um, obviously, Sm- Smalling and Jones have been given a new contract, so it's not them. Uh, Valencia's going to go. Sure. Uh, I think Shaw is actually relatively safe because he's young, and and there is maybe potential there. Um, even though even Mourinho wasn't always willing to see it. Uh, I think a lot of the midfield... Um, Fred, Fred, you, you, get, you give another season to Fred. I, I actually would. I, it's, I think he's a bit of a stranger in the sense that he's he's come to a new team. There's always that adapt, adaptation period, and even though he's made some calamitous errors, there's actually been the look of a player sometimes. And you'd give him, you'd give him a bit. Well, you give him a bit more leeway than players that have been there for four or five years and done little. Yeah, he's, he's shown enough. Uh, I think I think Solskjaer wants Lukaku. I mean, it's interesting. There's been a lot of leaks about about Lukaku at the moment. About how oh, he's considering his future. Well, <laughs> I, think, I think that was already being considered. <laughs> uh, I, I, Solskjaer has never been a massive fan of Lukaku, from what I've um, heard, and would prefer a pacier front line of kind of Rashford and Lukaku, or sorry, Rashford and uh, Martial, uh, and possibly Jadon Sancho. So you're essentially looking at, I mean, uh, so you know, Mat- Matic, uh, sorry, Matic, not Matic, Matter, 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 yeah. Matter goes, Herrera goes. Yeah. Uh, you're essentially looking at between maybe six and twelve players that are, that are safe, and the rest are kind of. You know, and it, off for of grabs. You probably can't get rid of. In fact, it'd be an interesting piece to do here. The bit, you know, Sanchez, but then who, I mean, Sanchez. Who, who is going to take that off their hands? First of all, is he willingly going to take a lower wage offer from anywhere? No chance. I mean, and who? It's 
So like, the, the, and this is the problem because that it's it's actually amazing now the whole. <laughs> so, sorry, I just got a phone call. Uh, but don't worry, the the, the pod continues. It was a uh, a friend of ours. Um, it, wait, that, so that's Sanchez. At the moment, like, at the time, you could understand the rationale, and yet he it has now become the single greatest illustration of how dysfunctional and badly run a club United are. Because uh, I think that this has been something that's been raised a lot the past few days, where. The, and the value of kind of city sporting structure and why you appoint people like Chicky Bagheerstein in technical roles rather than people like Mike Phelan. Um, because when it, when it came down to a negotiation like that, not only do City have the, the contacts and know-how, but they also know the value of a player. So when 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 the kind of the Sanchez price started kind of spiraling, they kind of no, this isn't worth it. Whereas United went, oh, this looks good. This is this is good PR. It's an, and yet another short-term move. Exactly the short-term hit, yeah. the, sh- the short-term feel-good factor. Yeah. That's what comes from from hiring Solskjaer. You, they get a really short-term yeah. like. PR hit from that. Everybody, everybody loves Ole. Let's capitalize on that. And then six weeks down the yeah. line, it's, it's it's astonishing how yeah. many of the wrong decisions they've taken at the wrong time. I, 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 as regards the manager alone, or the managers alone, with, with with Moyes initially, there was the needless six-year contract, precisely as some sort of kind of sop to the whole notion of longevity and and basically that whole idea of of kind of. Um, yeah, the long term, without necessarily deserving the long term, and insurance against what exactly what happened. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. Uh, and then even the fact they give Mourinho a new contract when there were already problems, and a few months before they refused to back him in the in the summer, and not unreasonably, I'd say in that case. But uh, Moyes is still under contract, right? This is the last year of yeah. Moyes' contract. Um, yeah, it, I mean, hearing it's always interesting hearing Miguel sum it up like that because it is such a damning record of bad decision after bad de- de- decision going back to what coming up to six years now since Woodward's been there. I mean, often we like to kind of compare Manchester United to a massive company. Like people like to say, oh, they're just like Shell or whatever. But it's hard to imagine. How, it's hard to see that, that much underperformance could reward could lead yeah. to continued service in in the top job in another massive company. That it's big, incredible. Functional companies. There is, you know, obviously there's there's a board, but there is there is more than one decision maker. There is a, a pool of decision makers, and there is kind of a, a synergy of ideas rather than, rather than United, which it, it feels like is is being run on on the whims and, and feelings of of one guy essentially. Yeah, and and a guy who people who know him say is very kind of uh, reason based and intelligent in every other area of his job. But when it comes to football. Too emotion based, too too driven by short term headlines, too driven by the mood of the crowd, which comes back to these short term decisions. And I, I heard the story about how, um, from corporate circles, how when it, when he when he when he got the job initially from Gill, he was advised to kind of immediately bring in football people, and while that was on his mind, he, you know, <laughs> fancied running it this way essentially for until until it got to the point in the last two years where the the need for a, a football structure has become, you know, imperative. Woodward clearly. Fancies himself as a kind of footballing visionary, like doesn't he? It, it's it's like a. I mean, the, the 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 phrase which I can't remember whether I wrote it in a piece or whether I just wrote it in a text or something. It's 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 a super tanker being driven like a speedboat. Yeah. Uh, just, did you have you seen that that clip going around from one of those out of context Twitter accounts, yeah. which is saying, oh, yeah. you know, we're seeing Schweinsteiger in the team will send a shiver down the spine. Yeah, I I retweeted that earlier. I think Miguel probably did too. If you can find it, check it out. It's amazing. It's funny how what you say about how Woodward's a football visionary. The guy's had like eight different visions <laughs> since he's been in the job. Like that, that is that in itself should be 
disqualifying. And that, I mean, this is the segue, that is the contrast with City. Yeah. It's so the fact that City have had... Like, I'm going I'm to trample all of your segue here. Go on. It's like, they're like the, the John Cleese character in The Life of Brian who goes like, you are the Messiah, and I know because I've followed a few. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly it. But yeah. then, um, you know, the contrast with City is so obvious because City have been built... Like, what City have now, they have been building it for years. Like, yeah. literally for 10 years. You know, they got... They got what Cheeky and Soriano in in 2012. Yeah, that's when they made their first approach to Guardiola. They then got Guardiola basically in the bag in 2015. He joined in 2016. Yeah. Like everything has been there for a very long time with the same people was, and the same was, ideas. It was a line of using that piece, but City went and all right, fair enough. They're kind of the most lavish football project in history. But why that's been so um, ominous for the rest of football is because they spend that money intelligently. And one of those was basically incorporating what everyone says is the apple of football and. In, in, Basically, Barcelona's brains trust. Yeah, that 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 is kind of the nub of the whole City project. Is that I think football f- football could have survived City just being rich, yeah, like being like Abramovich, as in be it having lots of money and change their mind all the time and doing different things year on yeah. year. But football can't really survive City being really rich and really smart. Yeah, that's kind. I mean, that's kind of what has killed football has been has been City having all this money. And also being good with it. It's when, when Wenger famously described them as having petrol and ideas. Mm. That's what he was getting at, is that like they've never come across anyone, he's never come across anyone who was both rich and clever at the same time. Yeah, completely. Um, where do you think City... How do you feel about City going to that, into that game on Wednesday and what um, they're going to do? I, I, think that, I think Saturday showed that the midweek game definitely affected them. Uh and that would be a worry, except for the fact they got through it. And the fact they got through it was crucial. I think that will leave a bit of a mental release for Wednesday. And I, I think it's going to be one of those... I remember talking... I used to do Stephen Hunt's column, and he was going on one time. When a team's in a bad run, what will happen is actually the first 20 minutes of games will actually be quite impressive for them because they're, they overcompensate. And, they'll, and then eventually, unless they get an early goal, or even if they do sometimes, the reality of the team's problems start to manifest themselves on a pitch. And I think that's what we could see... On Wednesday, where United go all do, out. In the do play. you do you have any stats on City's performance early on in in games? Recently? I, I actually, would you, would you believe this has been a feature of my uh, of, my, of my Twitter really? recently? Yeah, bloody hell! But I was actually talking about from the United side. So okay. I, I think United are going to go because United are ones off form. I think United are going to go at City really strong from the start, and then have gradually like against played. Barcelona, which was they played ten sumptuous minutes at yeah, the Nou yeah, Camp. Yeah. I mean, I I can see, I can see a path to United winning that game. It's not, you know. I don't. No, I, not, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's what's going to happen. But I, I, I can see it happening. I yeah, can, I know what you mean. Can you, uh, can you unpack that? Can you say what it is? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if City's recent run has almost entirely been built on breaking games open early. Yeah. And if City don't score that, was it third minute goal against Spurs or seventh minute, something like that? Fourth. Fourth minute. That game is totally different. And even with a one nil lead against Spurs it was incredibly nervy and it was incredibly tense and playing away from home uh, at Old Trafford if they don't get the early if they have to chase the game in the second half that kind of adds its own quantum of well let's let's call it panic because if they don't yeah. if they don't win that game the title's gone that is a that is a problem but the way I, I think United is just so it, it would take one of those just one of those rare nights where United have that kind of strange defiance about them where players kind of play beyond themselves like, like it can occasionally happen in football but even if even if United go ahead and even if there's an element of panic from City I think if City just go about playing their game I know this is a cliche but I think it's all the truer in this case if, if City just go about playing their game I think they'll gradually unravel the massive flaws in that United team 
would you would United fans uh, want Mourinho in charge? If if if, you, if United fans could get Mourinho in charge for this for this one game, I think I think you know. That that's the sort of performance. Well, that, that except would, for the fact that probably most of them want City to win the title. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, but that that's something obviously you know we we should probably come to at some point. But um, but I, I think that's the sort of tactical display that that, yeah. that will will win the game. They're not going to uh, set about City and, and take them apart in the first twenty minutes. City, are, I think, kind of too smart for that. Um, but I did think City looked vulnerable in the first half on Saturday. Uh, I mean, Spurs, Spurs could have scored three or four goals in the first half. Um, and it was basically only like the luck of finishing that meant that Spurs got those two early goals in the Champions League game last Wednesday, but only yeah. but didn't score any goals on Saturday. Like Son got in a few times and I, the City defence did look a bit ropey. Like Edison had, Edison had to come and make some saves. I'm not sure what that tells us about Wednesday, though, because I was thinking about this earlier. Like United don't have anyone as good as Son. Like Rashford isn't as good as Son. No. United don't have anyone as good as Ericsson. But it, I mean, if Rashford and Martial can can sort of you know get some space on the counter attack and, and they actually get a few openings and yeah, one, one, one of them goes in and and then what happens is City's fullbacks are then kind of wary wary of the threat and that sort of that kind of blunts their attacking threat as well and if United I mean I, I expect kind of United to, to to line up quite narrow like with like tr- not sort of letting Silver and, and, and Bernardo getting in those the, the little pockets in the channels that they like to operate in. So if they keep it if they keep it tight in, in what you know you might call a Mourinho masterclass fashion, uh, there's always the chance of burling a goal on the break. I don't think it'll happen. I, I, I mean, I think ultimately individual errors more than anything, like one-on-one battles, that they're just going to lose too many of those. I think for for them to win that game, but that's how they would do it. If if they are going to do it, yeah, I wonder if he might if Pep might play Leroy Sane, who's a player who we've talked we've talked about this before. He's gone off a bit in the last few yeah. years. Uh, he hasn't started a prop. He hasn't started a big game since the Liverpool win in early January, where of course he scored the winner. But that was like four months ago, and since then he's only been wheeled out for like meaningless games, like Schalke second leg or Newport County or Swansea City. Um, what do you think that is? Actually, well, uh, I think it's a few things. One is he think Pep thinks he gives the ball away too much. And thinks that Sterling, Aguero, and Bernardo Silva is like a more uh, consistent front three, mm. also a bit more efficient. Uh, I think he also has some issues with Sane's application off the pitch, uh, not least his personal life, his uh, his contract row with City, which is ongoing, uh, in which Sane's mother is said to be a big factor. Um, so clearly, like there is a bit of an issue there. It's like Sane is too good not to play most games. Yeah, like, yeah. You can, like Mares being on the bench, fine. Gabriel Jesus being on the bench, fine. But Son- I mean, Sane is one of the most Sane is one of the most talented players in the world of his age. Mm-hmm. You can't really have someone on that. Be- you can't really have someone on that good who isn't playing most of the games. Um, but I kind of feel like, given that United will probably attack a fair bit tomorrow, given that their defense is pretty weak, is pretty slow, and like uh, able to be beaten by fast players and behind mm. I wonder whether it might be a game for Sane but of course if he does play Sane then that means he'd have to play Bernardo Silva back in the midfield three and I wonder whether he'd be reluctant to do that just because he's been so good in the yeah. three where he's been recently yeah and it's amazing that one one other decision that he has to make and this sounds ridiculous is Phil Foden or David Silva Silva's been a bit muted lately I though hasn't he been, I think he just looks a bit tired to be honest yeah. this has been his worst season for City he he struggles I think with quite intense games he's better when when it's slow and he can he's a great guy for when you're 2-0 up and you're trying to see it out mm. but he's not really a good guy when it's all kicking off um, he has struggled a bit recently whereas Foden obviously came in and was 
was was pretty good as Johnny wrote about the other day um and with Kevin De Bruyne injured again he injured a hamstring we think uh in the game on Saturday and he's missing then I think the midfield will probably be Fernandinho Gundogan and then one other which could you know could could as well be Foden it might as well be Foden yeah I mean I thought Foden had a had a great game on we were were both at the, the City Tottenham game on Saturday lunchtime and he was I'd not seen a huge amount of him in the flesh. I, I'm not sure I'd even seen him in the flesh before. But his energy is in, is incredible. I know you know that's kind of par for the course in a pet midfield. But uh, the way he he pressed Tottenham's defenders, but all all the way to the corner flag, essentially yeah. the energy with, of the guy. And you know some of his some of his tackles were a little bit loose, I guess. And you know there's there's a sort of an early yellow card in it for him, like some games. But uh, I, I found it I found it really impressive. And um, the way he sort of the way he takes the ball and moves it on kind of in the same movement, which is, is that's the kind of thing that Pep loves. Like players that trap the ball and then look up and sit and see what see what they're doing. That that's that's what most players are like, right? But taking the ball and sort of and moving it on in the same in the same kind of action, which is which is what Sterling's so good at. That's what Foden's really good at as well. Yeah, he, he has got a very he looks very un English in the way that he receives the ball. Like he's always on the half turn. He's got this kind of like I don't know how best to describe it, but he's got this kind of innate wriggliness when he gets the ball and he can turn it turn in either direction. He's always on the move. Um which makes him so good. Um I do think you you're onto something with the with the tackles. Like he particularly I wonder in the kind of a way that was literally your point that you made, like after the game oh, to me. Sorry. I've stolen it and regurgitated back at you. Uh, short term memory. Um I so wonder, a feedback loop. I wonder whether yeah. <laughs> uh old traffic like a United away derby sounds like the kind of game where you know, he maybe he could miss time a tackle and get sent off, and then suddenly City be in a very difficult position. Like Connor in in Dream Team. I actually haven't seen Dream. You've, Team. No, you've never seen Dream Team. I've never seen Dream Team. Well, it's about you, you know the premise, right? It's about Harchester United, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Midlands Bay, and so Connor. Look, the first couple of series, I think, focuses focuses on the youth team, and Connor, who's the Northern Irish lad, I think, yeah. he gets he gets his go in, in the first team. Frank was it Frank Patch? No, Ian Coates. Ian Coates gives him his debut in the first team. I think they're playing Arsenal, and. Like Ian Coates wants him to want him to show that he's a man. He wants yeah. him to like don't get intimidated, get in their faces. I know you're young; they're going to try and intimidate you. But you know, show them show them what you want. And then in about ninety seconds, he goes in for a two footed tackle and gets sent on off. Ian Wright, on Ian Wright, yeah, yeah. and and uh, well, he misses the rest that of the game. It, and yeah. also doesn't get his contract renewed at the end of the season. Yeah, quite, quite, he also gave up in football. I remember. I, I was quite a fan of that for the first two series, but the third series it was was that pre pre plane crash. The, yeah, pla- the, the plane, plane crash was when it started to really go. The plane crash was when it jumped the shark, I think. I mean, we already had the situation with Snake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the end of the, was it the end of the first series or the end of the second, end series, of the second right? series? There was a sniper in the... Uh, uh, spoiler alert, but... Uh, <laughs> well, it is 20 years on. It is 20 now. years on, right? So the chairman, Jerry Block, uh, suspects... <laughs> he, it, was, it was Michael Melia who was in EastEnders in the yeah. 80s. Um, he, he finds out that uh, his wife, Linda Block, who now plays somebody in Coronation yeah. Street... Uh, and I think was also one of the she she, uh, she played one of the characters in Coupling that Jeff goes out with. Anyway, um, finds <laughs> out that his wife is having an affair with the club's uh, Argentinian striker Luis Luis Amor Rodriguez, and pays a hitman <laughs> on, on FA Cup final day to climb up into the Wembley the old Wembley um, screen like Behind the scoreboard, scoreboard it, yeah. and and take a sniper shot at them uh, and, and and take one of them out with a sniper. My, my favorite thing about that game was. There, it was it was that was ninety eight ninety nine and so it was the year United were going for the treble oh, yes. so they're playing they're playing United in the final but they use the charity shield from two seasons beforehand which was Chelsea drawing with United won all United won on penalties 
and they they used the same Mark Hughes goal twice because you know, they used to use use re, real goals and kind of you know yeah CGI yeah. them but, like 90s <laughs> 90s Sky One they, CGI they, they, so uh, so Harchester won two one and they used the same goal twice but from different angles and I I, I think the commentary said a carbon copy of the first. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I, I'm. I, I'm not sure if they described United as treble winners even in the next season, but I'd like to think that's true. Dodged to won that game two one. They yeah. they they ended up. Uh, they ended up in the UEFA Cup, right? Yeah, yeah. Then then had the plane crash and all then that. Then had then had the plane crash. Uh, I, I think I stopped watching. You know they uh, they they recorded an episode in my local nightclub when Monday Bandili had to uh, marry an Irish woman. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. It, it, I actually think per capita, Dream Team was bigger in Ireland than uh, than the UK. Yeah, that's true of a lot of programmes, actually. Uh, probably this podcast, even. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, yeah. Who would have thought we from, from Manchester United to Harchester United? Yeah. Who do you think um, Who do you think uh, is the most... Actually, you know what? Let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's move on. Should we move on? Should we give predictions for tomorrow's game? I'm actually going to move back to Harchester United to ask another question about Dream Team, but uh, <laughs> in, the last, in the last second, I've changed my mind. Um, no, no, go on, go on. What, do you think there is scope for a similar, like, fictional football story... Do you think that if I wasn't because I, I basically the reason I ask is I got an email earlier saying yeah. that Netflix are making I saw a, that, yeah, yeah. like Julian Fellows has written a drama about the invention of football in Victorian England, um, which, which is going to go down like really well around the world. Like this idea that England invented football. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but what about like fictional football is like one of the great untouched untouched things in the world. In the market, right? Like, there never is good fictional football. The, the, prob- the problem with televised sport, or sorry, the problem with fictionalized sport is that if you try and base it on action on the pitch, it can't work because it always has to come down to a last-minute winner, which feels a cliche, um, and, and, and ultimately can't match, can match the authentic emotion of the real thing. So I think those, I think fictional football works best when they almost completely ignore what's... Like, I, I actually think... The Damned United did this really well, where they barely... Sh- there was only a few clips of the, the book of the film. Uh, the film. Right. Um, and, and the film kind of concentrated on actually the whole dynamics of, wh- of what happens off the pitch. And, kinda, and I suppose, like... And actually, something else that did, that did that quite well was Moneyball. Because, it does it, because that film isn't really about baseball. It's about how much you commit... It's about commitment to an idea. And also, secondly, the temptation of... I mean, at the end of the film, he has to kind of realize the, the offer from a bigger club. Where do, you, where do you keep going with the smaller club, or um, or take or take the jump? Last year, I saw I think maybe a few years ago a really good play by Patrick Marber uh, called "The Red Lion" about a um, like corruption and uh, greed in a non-league club. It's, uh, there are only three characters: the manager, the player, and the kit man. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about how this kind of dream they'd have of like a sort of idealized non-league football environment is in fact as corrupt as like inverted commas real football. Uh, and it was a fantastic play, but like you say, like it, it could you can never do live action. You can never do tackling and passing because no actors will be able to do it. Yeah, I mean there was there was a really big boom. This this kind of stuff in the eighties and nineties. You had you had Jossie's Giants. Uh, you had Dream Team. Football is wise. Renfrew Rejects. He had a play in the field, which was about a women's, uh, like a BBC ones about a women's team in the in the nineties. You also had Gordon Kennedy was in one for for BBC One in, in the night, and it seemed like you know there was a huge, you know there was a huge boom in this kind of stuff. Uh, 
But what what's happened in the last couple of decades is become harder and harder to confect. And I think part of the reason for that is that football has so nakedly sh- like sold itself as a kind of television product in its own right. Right, right, right. The, football is itself like primetime entertainment in the way that maybe it wasn't 20 or 30 years ago. And, you know, maybe that's why you, it, it's becoming harder and harder to, to make something that's make-believe football because the real thing also feels sort of so so staged yeah i think that's a really good point i think that yeah. uh yeah it, it's almost like squeezed out the space the space that might exist for fictional for fictional tv football and so, so, and, and so like the only the, i guess where you go dramatically is mm-hmm. you know the, the boardroom or the personality well, yeah. behind it but that's clear it's about the the human emotion then because the actual sporting emotion is just no, 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 no matter what you do, it always feels manufactured and can't compare the, to, to uh, the authentic. Because any emotion based on supporting your club or whatever is going to be much deeper than the investment in a character in, in a program. So that, that, that is one of the flaws that kind of actually trying to you know, ca- capture on-pitch drama has as well. So one of the things I like about the, um, about the David Peace books is that they don't have to... Yeah. Is that they manage to to turn the kind of true football story into a yeah. like emotion like emo- emotionally investing novelistic I mean, uh, what, what, framework the, the damn united it's really about obs- personal obsession and yeah. a grudge and uh, so's the shankly one whose title i've yeah. completely forgotten I've, i found it more difficult to read yeah it's a bit of a slog but it's i do feel like he conveys like an idea of what that uh, his version of Shankly does shine through, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. And the obviously the repetitive style is boring, but it like that's for a reason. It's to it's yeah, to of make, course. It's yeah. to illustrate that point, and it, I think that it does kind of grind that into your brain. Eventually. It was also how Shankly spoke as well, I suppose. That kind of oratory. Cool. I think we're done with this segment. Um, should we go back to the game? Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, 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 I quite enjoyed minutes. that little segue into. Uh, do you, you don't get that on. Um, any of the other podcasts <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so what are we going to talk about now this is not me like should, should, actually should we talk about the strange fan dynamics of tomorrow that is a good topic I thought I mean th- I thought this was a, I thought it was a perfect segue to it because we were talking about the passions and emotions yeah. involved in the game and I, th- I think there's a there's a really interesting drama to be made about this title race because you know in many ways for United fans it's kind of like the prisoner's dilemma or, or some other kind of psychological mm. game where can you possibly root for your biggest rivals? Can you lay down in front of your second biggest rivals in order to prevent your biggest rivals from winning the, yeah. what they want most of all? It's like the reverse of, you know, the I think what, what, I've forgotten what it's called, but when people say you've got you've got to kill one of your two children, it's like the opposite <laughs> of that. It's two selfish choice. You, yeah, it's two people yeah. that you hate, and one of them has to be glorious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and how how do you choose which e- which evil? Which awful thing to happen? Which awful person you want to win? Um, it, but, se- but it does seem like most, like basically ninety nine percent of United fans, or maybe there's even unanimity amongst Manchester United well, fans that they want City to win the title. I, I said this on Twitter earlier and got a bit of backlash. Uh, although it seems to be a bit of a split. I mean, people claim that there's a big thing if you want United to lose any given game, you are not a true fan. But then, the, and then someone else responded to that sort of thing saying. Most Manchester locals want United to lose tomorrow because it's you know obviously the, the rivalry with Liverpool is bigger. But like it's interesting. I think this tomorrow it's going to be a mind-bending evening for basically three sets of fans. So obviously we're discussing United here who have this dilemma of if they beat City, they almost certainly hand the title to the club they have the biggest rival with over anyone else. Added to that, the whole 
the ongoing competition over who has the most league titles. It could be 2019 then. Oh, yeah. Liverpool then have the dilemma of they actually have to support United in the game. And in City, City is deeper. It's not as overt, but ultimately they have this bizarre situation where the club that they most define themselves against is the, are the ones rooting for them. Milner, James Milner saying that he's gonna he's he's gonna be supporting United for the first time in his life, but like the, the quote here he says, "But I won't be watching. It's a bit of a waste of energy willing the ball in the other goal," and and it's a nice way of, nice way of describing football support there. <laughs> I, I was actually when I saw that quote last night, I was thinking the same. In terms of in terms of football player, is actually <laughs> is it genuinely how much how exhausting is it to invest yourself in a game like that? Is it better for them to just kind of you know take the night off, play Fortnite or whatever? Yeah, like I mean, like I'll ask the Leicester players watching Tottenham against Chelsea a few years ago. Yeah, like it's it must be an incredibly weird experience when you're when you're used to being able to influence matters on the pitch and having a really kind of clear. Uh, vision of what you want to mm-hmm. want to do for yourself, and con- we focus on ourselves. What they always say that you're essentially now totally invested in this in this other game featuring 22 players that that you have no real kind of connection with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what, what do you think of the, the city side of that? In terms of like this, I mean, this is again the, the club that they're. I mean, it's still despite the, the club they most most define themselves against, and now they have this weird dynamic where it's weird because I think it will be. I don't think it it will affect City that much. Because, but I think it would have done in the past, in the sense that city performances in derbies used to be driven largely by like adrenaline, mm. overperformance, passion, for want of a better word. And there were lots of derbies where city would basically play out of their skin and then get a few lucky bounces and win, particularly in the mm. sort of early 2000s, right up until the 2008 takeover. Whereas increasingly, city have got better and better and better at United that they can win these games without having, you know, without these kind of special circumstances. And now they're going to be playing a derby that's basically going to be passionless, I think, certainly in the yeah. stands, if not on the pitch. It'd be uh, weird. A game where they won't be facing the same hostile atmosphere, they won't be facing the same underdog status. But I think, like Pep was saying earlier in his press conference, he said, Old Trafford is not a scary place to go anymore. Just on that, I was watching... Martin Tyler's uh, Sky Sports archives last night, where they showed all of the recent, actually most of the Premier League derbies at Old Trafford, and City seem to have won the majority of the, of the last decade, basically. Uh, in fact, if they this will be three wins in a row, won't it? If they go because they they in Pep's first season they won two one uh, when the, the first meeting between yeah. Mourinho and De Bruyne or Mourinho and uh, last Guardiola. year they won two one as well. Last year they won two one. In fact, that was the game that actually won the title really last year because yeah, propelled yeah. that winning run and basically kind of killed off United's challenge. And I've seen this a bit from United fans that we're due a win both in terms of at home against City and also the double side of them. They just can't go seven seven defeats in nine and another big defeat kind of after mm-hmm. Barca Everton. But I don't buy into that. I think they, they very much can lose. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works, is it? No. <laughs> I mean, can we, can we talk like, are we talking sort of 6-1 levels of, you know, superiority here? I don't see why not. I, I think, <laughs> I think, I think it easily could be. Yeah, I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a much bigger difference between the teams, obviously, than there were was in that six-one game. <laughs> I, because I, I, I remember, I, I wasn't out there, but you before the Brazil Germany semi-final, like the seven-one, you said like I think Brazil are going to get absolutely splattered here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I told you, McKenna, that. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, tweet it at you, McKen. Actually, yeah, yeah. It's, one of, it's one of your greatest predictions. I know, I know, it could have, it sort of it felt intuitive in, in in hindsight, but it's still a pretty big thing to say at the time. Like, uh, I mean, my one was 
a few years ago. Do you remember when uh, Arsenal beat Reading 7-5 in, oh, yeah. the, in the League Cup? I, don't I, think, I think you left at Christmas party early to go to that, didn't you? Yeah, when they were 4-1 down, I think I said, I, I said I think Arsenal might sneak this and I tweeted it. Okay, so what are we going for in terms of predictions? We're going f- comfortable. I'm, I'm afraid, I, I hate to say it, comfortable Manchester City win. A 5-0 Man City. I'm, I'm actually partly saying that because that means when United would lose 3-0, 4-0, now 5-0 in the last three games. <laughs> That's a bit of an exaggeration, but um, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think one or two nil City. I think it, I think it will be a tight game. I think City will have enough, but you know, if if they get a couple of early goals, the floodgates could open. But I, I think United still just it'll be a totally different game from the Everton game. Dynamic, you know, the dynamic will be different yeah. and the tactics will be different. And I, I think United will show a little bit more backbone than they've shown maybe recently. I mean, a lot of people have in, in the build up to this game, United fans who do want them to lose have been talking about throw, just throwing the kids by the U team, but. There's actually an argument that's that's for the better of the team. If he p- throws in players like, you know, Greenwood, it c- it could be. Yeah. Uh, and of course, United have, in the sense, a bigger game in the sense of it being winnable mm. against Chelsea on Sunday. Yeah. Like there, there's an argument that says United should take their eggs out of the Wednesday night basket and put them in the Chelsea basket. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, they would increase their chances of getting top four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is still alive for as long as Arsenal keep being as inconsistent as they are. Okay, we've been talking for 40 minutes, so I think right. we're probably going to wrap it up there. But have, have you had enough at home? Have you had enough? Is that enough podcast for you? <laughs> That's a yes. That's a yes. Um, thank, uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank you, Miguel. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. And we will be back in your ears uh, next week. Bye. the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door go to blue and use promo code listen to get 50 dollars off your purchase of 500 dollars or more that's code listen at blue for 50 dollars off blue code listen Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 